All right. Thanks again for being here this morning. I was in the coffee line last week when Al started preaching, so no shame if you still need to go get coffee. Go back there if you need to. Uh, So we're in the middle of a series that we just called Renew, and we wanted to start off the year thinking about what it means that God makes us new. How can we continually be made new by God, and what does that look like? Last week, Pastor Al preached on renewing our mind, Um, and and somewhere I described, maybe it was an email, I described it to you all as he preached from multiple places all over the New Testament, and he said, wow, you made it seem like it was like this fire hose. I was all over the place, had no plan. So thanks for that. I said, no, 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 that was a compliment. He really was, if you were here, he was in multiple passages and he was showing us what it means to have our minds renewed by the truth of God. So to build on that idea, I'm gonna preach from Psalm 103 today. So if you have a copy of God's word, Psalm 103 is where we're gonna be this morning. And so as I was thinking about this sermon and this text particularly, I, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about the Christian life. And I'm thinking about two kind of ditches that I, I tend to go between these two. And I think as a whole, we could probably categorize ourselves in, in one of these two. The first is, I think sometimes we think way too highly of ourselves than we ought. And so we, we, we drift over in this ditch of thinking, man, I'm, I'm self-sufficient. Uh, I think my actions have kind of earned me something. Uh, I, I've done enough to, I can cope with the things of life. Like, I think I've got it, right? There's this self-sufficiency attitude, this pride attitude uh, on this one ditch. And then the other ditch, though, is, uh, is we just think way too low of ourselves. Right? Like we, we think, man, this poor wretch, I could never do anything right. I'm never anywhere close to doing what God wants me to do. God could never love, like I've been so horrible. There's no way God's pleased with me uh, after I did X. Then you think you get back into God's good graces and then you fall back. And you just think, man, this is just a treadmill that I'm never going to get off of. So we think too highly of ourselves and we think too low of ourselves. And on the one hand, we think we're so good that we've earned God's love. And on the other hand, we think we're so bad, God would never love us. But actually, these two ditches have something in common, that in either case, in either ditch, you end up turning to your own actions to get yourself somewhere in life. On the one hand, you think your actions have actually been successful and you've gotten somewhere. On the other hand, you think your actions haven't been successful. So if you could only be better and learn better strategies for life, you could end up like this person over here and be a little more confident. But in both places, we think, hey, if I turn to my own strategies to cope with life, I can make this thing work. And the Bible calls that flesh. In both cases, our lives are ruled by our actions. If we could just do better. And so to fix this problem, we actually don't need to focus on our actions. That's what got us into this mess. We actually need to focus on our beliefs. We need to focus on what are you believing? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? That's the only way you can get out of these two ditches of thinking too highly or too lowly and just thinking if I do the right things and God's gonna be pleased with me, if I do the right things, then I can cope with, with what's going on in my life. I, if I had the right strategies for living. So we've got to, attack the root of the problem, which is our belief. Your belief about God, your belief about yourself. So how in the world do we begin to attack the root of this problem, attack our belief? How do we change our beliefs? And that's exactly what Psalm 103 is about. The first good news about attacking your beliefs is this, that everything you think or feel 
is not necessarily true. That's good news for some of us, right? Everything you think about, just because a thought comes to your mind, I think this day and age, we're taught and just conditioned to believe like that must be true. You have a feeling that must be true. Now, now I'm not saying your feelings don't matter because your feelings are valid and they're real and we've got to deal with those, but it doesn't mean it's true. You feel worthless, that's not true, right? There's things we feel that don't necessarily match up with reality. So that's the first good news. Everything that crosses your mind, it's not necessarily true. You don't necessarily have to take that as law in your life. But the second good news, and this is where Psalm 103 comes in, is that we can actually preach the gospel to ourselves. That's exactly what Psalm 103 is doing. And we sang it just a second ago. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, praise his holy name. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. You're not crazy. Bible writers did it too. Be comforted this morning. In fact, they didn't just do it. He actually tells us we ought to be doing this too. He's talking to his own soul. And specifically, he's telling his soul to remember something. Look at the end of verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. So part of the way we deal with the Christian life and from following in this side of legalism and thinking, hey, I've done enough to earn God's love or falling into this side of thinking I could never do enough to earn God's love, we fight that by needing to remember something about God and something about ourselves. And in this Psalm, David is saying, hey, soul, don't forget the truth. You're prone to forget it. You're prone to forget the good news about who God is and who you are. And this is biblical meditation. Not worldly meditation where we try to empty our mind to find the truth within, but biblical meditation where we try to empty our own thoughts and put in God's truth. And then Tim Keller says it like this, we wanna pray ourselves hot. We wanna put truth in our mind and push it down into our hearts through prayer. And keep chewing on the truth about the good news of who God is. So we're called, this psalm is calling us to meditate and remind ourselves. But what should we be meditating on? And that's the end of verse 2. Forget not all his benefits. This phrase, the benefits of God, is, is talking about his work towards us. How he deals with us. Don't forget how God deals with you. Don't forget his work towards you. And we're going to look at six ways God works towards us this morning. In the first way, look at the first five verses with me. God works personally. These first five, five verses are incredibly personal. Now remember, he's talking to his own soul. So every time he says you, he's talking to himself, okay? So, so look with me at verses three and four and five. He says, who forgive, forget not all his benefits, God's benefits. And then he goes on to describe five quick ways. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So the, the worldly pattern to deal with ourselves internally and to change ourselves personally is that we ought, to be, we ought to figure out how to do it. We ought to discover our own truth. We ought to live our best life. The temptation from the world is to try to change ourselves, but this is never going to work, right? You, you know this, right? You, you've done that before, haven't you? Like it's January. So I think January 1, like you set resolutions and 
you fall back, right? I think the temptation is to think we can change ourselves, but this is never going to work. The good news is that God works toward us in ways we cannot work for ourselves. That's the good news. That God works for you and towards you personally in ways you could never work for yourself. It's funny, I don't know if you've ever seen a survey where people are given a phrase and they're polled and say, is this a Bible verse or not? God helps those who help themselves. Right? Staggering numbers of people are like, yes. That is like the opposite message of the Bible. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And that's exactly what he's saying in these first five verses. That God's personal dealings with us are all-encompassing and they bring change in our lives. Would you look with me at these five verbs that he uses? He, he first says, who forgives all your iniquity. God forgives you. Do you constantly feel like you're trying to make up for a whole list of bad things you've done? I mean, do you feel like you're trying to make up for that? Maybe David did, but David is saying in Psalm 103, hey, remember soul, God forgives all of your iniquity. All encompass, every iniquity, every sin in your life, God forgives it. He doesn't just forgive our iniquity, yours personally. He knows and he forgives. He heals all your diseases. Do you have a keen sense of your brokenness? Not just physical brokenness outwardly, but even inward brokenness? God's gonna bring healing to your life. If not in this life, then in the next. God redeems your life from the pit. Do you have a sense that your life is in the pit? And that's a, that's a pretty vivid image, right? God redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you struggle to have any sort of positive view of yourself? Or are you just, I mean, the Christian life is not one that we just want to pile ourselves in the dirt and think worse and worse and worse about ourselves. That's not what the Bible teaches. God crowns you. That's a positive view of yourself. But it's in God's eyes and on God's terms. He satisfies you. Do, do you find that any sense of joy is almost impossible to maintain? God satisfies you with joy. God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And the good news about these first five verses is that all of God's personal work towards us is fulfilled in Jesus. That God deals with us, he works towards us personally. Listen to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father. So it's starting in a very similar way as Psalm 103, right? Bless the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us in Christ Jesus. That God works towards you personally. The good news this morning is you don't have to try and fail to change yourself. But you can receive personal change from God. So God works towards us personally in verses one through five. Look with me at, at the next five verses, verses six through 10, that God works towards you redemptively. Redemptively. Remember, we're preaching to ourselves. So first we're preaching to ourselves, hey, you don't have to wrestle with this inward change that you gotta try to change yourself. There's all these things you're unsatisfied with. Give it to God because in Jesus, he changes you. Next, look, God works redemptively redemptively. In verse six, David starts to pull us back to the story of the Exodus. 
He says in verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In Exodus, God's people were oppressed, held in slavery. And then in verse uh, 7, he explicitly talks about Moses. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So he's looking back at the story of the Exodus as a pattern for how God works with us. That he works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He doesn't expect you to do it for yourself. He helps those who cannot help themselves. But then verse 8 is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you don't know what happens in Exodus 33 and 34, here's a quick rundown. The people are a pain in the neck and Moses didn't necessarily ask for that. Uh, And so he's kind of saying like, God, if you're not with me, if I don't know you, I really don't want to keep going and leading this people to wherever you're leading us. So in chapter 33, he says, God, show me your glory. I mean, you got to show me who, I want to see your glory. So God hides him and says, you can't see the, you know, you can't see me in my full glory and live. So, but I'm going to show you a piece of it. So then when God reveals himself, he, he doesn't just reveal himself in a picture and Moses doesn't describe a picture of his glory. He, he gets words, audible words. And here's the first thing that God says about himself. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You want to know who God is? He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, in Hebrew poetry, there's what's called parallelism. So there'll be two lines, and the idea, the wording will be different, but the ideas will, will parallel each other. And so I think that's what we see right here in verse 8, that he says he's merciful. And then the next line says he's slow to anger. But God works redemptively because his mercy highlights the fact that God does not give us what we deserve. There are things we deserve that God holds back, like his anger and his wrath against sin, and death, the penalty of sin, and his mercy holds that back from you. He's slow to anger. But then, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So his mercy says, you deserve all this, and I'm not going to give it to you. And his grace says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to heap it on you. You get to enjoy all these blessings. You get to enjoy my steadfast love. It's going to abound to you. Do you see how God works redemptively? You're owed something and he says, I'm not giving it to you. And you don't deserve any of this and he pours it on you. That's how God works toward us redemptively. And then he spends two verses describing this. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities We can just acknowledge chide, super common word. I'm sure all our kids know that word. We use it really often in daily conversation. We don't. It's okay. Laugh at that. We don't use the word chide ever. Uh, So what does that mean? Basically what he's trying to say is God's not keeping notes about how bad you are to build a legal case against you. Boy, that's good news. But can I tell you something? That's what you do to yourself, right? Don't you do that sometimes? You look back on your week and or maybe even just your day, and you just almost kind of have this, this agreement with God, you're like, you know, we'll try this tomorrow. I mean, 
I know it's noon. I haven't eaten lunch yet, but boy, today has really spiraled out of control. I know you don't want to hear from me right now. Tomorrow, I promise I'll wake up extra early, good quiet time with the Lord. We'll get on the same page. Right? Like you keep your own record of wrong, but the Bible says God does not chide. He's not going to keep his anger against you. He's not keeping notes and details of every time you trip, fall, stumble, and mess up in order to come hang it over your head. And then verse 10, I mean, this is, if you're going to summarize the gospel with one verse, this has got to be, you know, in the top 10 of verses you'd use. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's great news. All your sins you beat yourself up over, remember, David's preaching to his own soul. You're beating yourself up, and David's going, remember, that's not who God is. That's not the truth about God. That's not how he deals with you. But if you go back to this Exodus story in Exodus 34, right after verse six, where he says, the Lord's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he goes on to say that the Lord will not forget the guilty. They will not go unpunished. But he's gonna visit the iniquity of people on their children's children, generation to generation. So how do you bring these two things together? He's merciful. He's not gonna stay angry. He's gracious. He's gonna pour his love on you. But if you're guilty with sin and iniquity, he's not going to forget that. He can't. He's God. He's holy. He's pure. He's righteous. The good news is that God deals with us redemptively in Jesus. Because in the person of Jesus, God doesn't have to sacrifice his holiness for his grace. But God doesn't give to us what we deserve because he gives it to Jesus. And God gives us what we don't deserve because it's all owed to Jesus. I mean, the most unfair trade in human history, that Jesus gets everything we deserve and we get everything he deserves. That's the gospel. So David is preaching the gospel to himself in Psalm 103. Listen to Romans 8. I think it sums up what, what David's saying here so well. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. That's another way of saying you're not guilty. You're not going to be condemned for your record of wrong. Remember, he's preaching the gospel to himself, so you need to remember the truth about God. He's not quietly growing in anger as he notes all of your wrongs. He's not trying to build a case against you. So we see God works personally, God works redemptively, and then look at these next few verses with me, 11 through 14, and we're gonna see three huge ways God works towards us. He works immeasurably, infinitely, and intimately. And he uses three similes to do that, three similes to compare two things and show us what he's like. First, in verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He's using this comparison to say, however high you can measure the heavens are above the earth that's the limit of my love and what he's saying is not there's a measurement and it's a really big number he's saying it's immeasurably high that's my love towards you and then the next verse verse 12 as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions for us could you get a measurement of that i mean those are directions right They're not like points on a map. Like this is east. I am east. East is a direction. So as far as this direction is from this direction, polar opposites. He's talking about infinitely removing your sin from you. 
infinitely removing all of your iniquities. And then verses 13 and 14, he says, as a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. So after using two comparisons to tell us how big his love is and how massive his forgiveness is, he brings it home intimately. And says, just like a father's got compassion or some other translations say, just as a father pities his children, he knows the difficulties, he knows the ins and outs, and he cares. That's how the Lord is towards you. So you need to know that God, when he works towards you, he works immeasurably, he works infinitely, and he works intimately. That's how God works towards you. But again, we've got to remember that all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we experience these three joys. Because of God's immeasurable love, he's infinitely removed all of our sins so that we could know him as intimately as a child knows a father. God loves us, so he sent Jesus. That's the measure of his love. That's what the New Testament says. John 3, 16, Romans 5. God's love is measured in the fact that he sent Jesus. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 18 reminds us that Jesus paid for all of our sin once and for all, and it compares it to this Old Testament way of having to sacrifice over and over for sins, but Jesus, once and for all, offers a perfect sacrifice, so your sin's dealt with. And then because of Jesus, we're adopted into God's family. So remember that he's preaching to him, talking to his own soul, preaching to himself. He's saying, soul, you've got to remember this is how much God loves you and this is how much he's forgiven you and this is now how close you are to him. You have the access that a son has to a father with God. So he's saying it's never right for you to feel far from God. He's not saying you never feel far from God and he's not saying those feelings aren't valid but he's saying that's never right. How do you deal with that? You gotta preach to yourself. That you have that kind of access with God. He's adopted you into his family. And I've heard this question before that paints that access so well. But who would dare to wake up a king in the middle of the night for a cup of water? Besides his child. That's the access we have. King of the universe. Creator God. Wants to know every detail of your life because that's how close you are to him. That's how God works towards you. Preach that to yourself. Uh, we see in verses 15 through 18, this is the, the last way we see God work, that he works eternally. David compares our fading, fragile nature with God's everlasting, steadfast love. R read these verses with me. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. It's interesting. I, I spent some time wrestling this week going, okay, I get the first couple verses. He knows our frame. We're, we're like a flower. We're like grass, like here today, gone tomorrow. Okay, I, I get that. But what confused me was the way he compared it. So he compares us, our whole selves, like you're fragile, you're finite, you're here and you're gone, like death. Maybe we get 70 or 80 years, but so many people are, have so much less. 
So, I mean, I, I get that. We're, we're fragile. But do you see what he says in verse 17? But, okay, here comes a comparison. The steadfast love of the Lord. Right? It would seem like he wants to compare us with God and say, you're fragile, but the Lord is everlasting. But that's not what he does. He doesn't say you're fragile and finite and God is not. He's infinite. He says you're fragile and finite, but the love of God is steadfast and everlasting. How does he compare us with the love of God? I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, how can you who are fragile and finite and fading experience a love that is steadfast and everlasting? How does that work? Here's the good news, friends. Do you know where we're going? To Jesus Because Jesus spanned the gap from the infinite to the finite. You remember Philippians 2? He was God, but he didn't count that as something to be grasped. But he actually said, you know what? I'll empty myself so that I could be born in the likeness of a servant. Becoming like a man, dying. But because Jesus spanned the gap from the infinite to the finite, from the everlasting to the fragile, because he spanned that gap, now we can too. And now death is not our end, but Jesus kicked the door out the other side. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So though you're fading and you're fragile and you're finite, Your life's here and gone. You're like grass and a flower. The love of God that's been poured on you is an an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. So remember, he's preaching the gospel to himself. So what's he saying to himself right here? He's saying, don't be tempted to put all your hopes and all your eggs in the basket of this life. It's fading. It's going to be gone. You put your hope in this life and it's going to be gone just like that flower's gone that was here in the springtime. It's going to be gone. Hey, don't do it because even though you're fading, God's love, Romans 5 tells us it's been poured into our hearts. It's not fading and it will never fade. So be encouraged that your hope isn't in you and it's not in the things we see and we touch here. It's in this unseen reality that we forever will experience as we get to be with God. So these last few verses, what David has done in this psalm, and we've had a lot of points. But as you pray this psalm to yourself and as you learn to preach to yourself so that you don't forget the way God's worked towards you, remember God has worked personally, redemptively, immeasurably, infinitely, intimately. What's the other one? eternally is the last one. There's a lot of points. The point's not that you remember all the points. The point's that you learn to come to Psalm 103 and pray these things for yourself. Because what happens with David as he ends is he has so looked at God, so been stirred up to see that God's worthy to be praised. John Piper says it like this. He's remembered so much of God that he can't be satisfied until all the angels and all the works of creation join in blessing the Lord. So this God who's blessed David personally, redemptively, immeasurably, infinitely, intimately, and eternally also deserves to be praised 
universally. Universally. He, he says in verses 19 through 22, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David has so reminded himself that God is good and God has worked towards him in such big, beautiful ways that it actually explodes out of him and encompasses all of creation. The whole universe must praise God. Do you see how this too leads us straight to Jesus? Because in Philippians 2, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This whole psalm finds its ultimate meaning in Jesus because as David's reminding himself of how God has worked towards him, we look back and read Psalm 103 and we are reminded that God has worked towards us in Christ Jesus. He no longer sees your record of wrong. He, he no longer holds that against you. And he's lavished his love and his grace on you. So we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves because we forget. We've got to proclaim to our own souls the truth about who God is and who we are. And this is how our minds are renewed. Just like Pastor Al preached about last week. Have our minds renewed. We have to proclaim the truth. And this is hard because this isn't a to-do list or an action list. And so it bucks against our modern bent towards productivity and busyness. But the gospel is news to be proclaimed and received. Not a list of things for you to do and accomplish. So we're going to come up and sing another song. And we're going to have a time to respond to God's word for you to respond personally, individually in your heart to this reminder of how God has worked towards you. And so in an attitude of prayer, let's, let's pray together and then let's sing. But I, I want you to look at Psalm 103 and I want you to ask, what do you need to be reminded of about who God is? What kind of reminders do you need? What kind of reminders do you need about who you are? That God's not holding your sin over your head. That God's not leaving you to your own devices to try to personally change yourself from the inside out. What kind of reminders do you need this morning? I want us to use this last song to just open ourselves up to God and to his work in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this rich psalm. We thank you for the truth of who you are. We thank you for how you've worked towards us. 
now I pray that these truths, God, would come down into our hearts to change our lives. Would you open our hands so that we could receive from you this morning, God? And would you change us from the inside out? Would you help us to respond to you in faith, just receiving the work that you offer us in Jesus? And help us to no longer live as if we don't have anyone else working for us. And we've got to try to earn it all and do it all ourselves. Help us to live free, knowing that you've provided it all. In Jesus' name, let's sing together.